Hey, I'm Tiffany Woise, and this is the best of What's Mine is Yours. Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. Our guest today is Bob DePiro, the only one in his family to have a passion for music and knew it was what he wanted to do at a very early age. He moved to Nashville, Tennessee in 1979. By 1983, Bob was already celebrating his first number one song. Since then, he has had 15 number ones and several top 20 singles. I loved Bob. What a awesome man. I think this is one of the most fun interviews I've done. We just hung out on my couch and it was just a blast. Plus, probably one of the most successful songwriters I think I've had so far on this podcast. This man is written for what country music would consider like the absolute greats. The Oak Ridge Boys, George Strait, Reba McIntyre, Faith Hill, Tim McGraw, Brooks and Dunn. The list really just continues to go on and on. Well, hello, Bob DePiro. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? I'm pretty darn good. It's a beautiful day and it's a beautiful setting. Thank you. And I'm glad to be here. What in the world drew you to music? The Beatles. Who introduced you to the Beatles, or did you just figure this out on your own? Saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show. Mm. I'm of that vintage, you know, where there was me and my brother staring at a black and white television, and uh, here comes the Beatles on TV, and I wasn't sure what I was looking at or what I was experiencing, Mm -hmm. but all I knew was whatever they were doing, I wanted to do that. (laughs) Yeah. It was just like... It was almost like, put your hands on the television and you will receive the spirit. Well, <laughs> I didn't put my hand on the television, but I definitely got zapped with the spirit, you know. And from that moment on, it was just all about music to me. And growing up in, in the Midwest, in Youngstown, Ohio, there was really, at least in my group of friends and family, there was almost zero country music. For me, it was all rock and roll. So, you know, I, just dove into that, trying to figure out what it was you needed to do that. You needed to get guitars and amplifiers and uh, at that point get matching suits and you need to get a van to move your stuff around and you needed to write songs. Yeah. Because that's what the Beatles were doing. That's what Jagger and Richards and the Rolling Stones were doing. I would be reading those album covers and realizing that, wow, these guys are actually writing these songs mm-hmm. well i guess if you're in a band you write songs so yeah it just was like okay well i'm in a band but i'm gonna write songs and it just was a natural part of being in that world of writing songs i, I guess i'm a songwriter yeah 
How old were you when you saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show? I was probably 12, 13, something like that. That was an aha moment for you, obviously. But the moment where, okay, no, I'm actually going to do music as a career. I mean, you don't really know exactly the steps on how to do that. So when was the moment where you're like, no, seriously, I'm an adult now and I'm going to do this? That night. Yeah, really? <laughs> Honestly, I'm telling you the truth. There was, after that, there was nothing that got in my head or made me think, hey, maybe I'll be a foot doctor like yeah. my dad. Or maybe I'll be a fireman or maybe I'll be a teacher. Or maybe it was like, whatever that is, I want to do that. And I just followed that in and never looked back. You know, okay, well, he's playing a guitar. I guess I better be a good guitar player. And they're writing songs. All self-taught? No, I had some lessons. I actually ended up going to a, a small university, Youngstown State University. And during my college years, they had a small music school there called the Dana School of Music, which I went to and studied very traditional theory and harmony, whatever that means to mm -hmm. anybody. But before that, yeah, it was mostly self-taught. It was mostly putting on records and playing them over and over again and trying to figure them out. By ear. By ear. And I found that I had a pretty decent ear. I found that I could really kind of understand what was happening with melody and one chord leading to another chord and that chord leading to the next chord and how a melody floats over the top of those chords. I seem to have a natural ability to understand that and comprehend it. But the part that was surprising to me was the lyrics behind them. Because, okay, well, you can pretty much put chords together and make something sound like something. But how do you write those lyrics? How do you write those songs? How do you tell those stories? And that's something that really captured my imagination. 15 number ones, which is pretty incredible. So instead of having to make you name all of them, because I don't want you to have to do that, what is your favorite number one you've written? Do you have a favorite? Oh, my God. you got to pick one. That's like picking a your kid. Your kid. No, I don't What's know. a standout? I guess it's the songs I regularly play when I perform. I've always loved Blue Clear Sky by George Strait. Okay, tell me the story behind it. Oh, my God. You're not ready for it. I sure I am. All right. I went to see the movie Force Gump. This is all true, by the way. I'm not going to make any of this up. Jeez, well, I hope not. In the movie, Forrest Gump, when he talked about life's like a box of chocolates, and everything, blah, blah, blah. But in the movie, he was talking about Ginny, his girlfriend. Remember Ginny? Of course. And he goes, and Ginny was gone. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, clear sky, I get a letter from her. And I'm watching this and listening to this. And I'm going, blue, clear sky, that's backwards. It's Everybody says it's clear blue, out of the clear blue sky. That forest, he's crazy, man. <laughs> but it was different, so I filed it away in my head. And the next day, I had a writing session with Mark Sanders and John Gerard. And as writers do, you know, we get together and we're just trying to get the ball rolling, you know. And do you have any ideas? No. How about you? No, I don't have anything I like. And I said, well, I've got this idea. Well, what is it? Blue, clear sky. And they both, like in stereo, go, well, that's backwards. And I go, yeah. It's backwards, but that's what's cool about it. You're never going to find that woman that you really love. You're never going to find that connection. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, out of the blue clear sky, there she is. 
And they bought it. (laughs) (laughs) So we did a demo, as we do in Nashville, Tennessee, creating a song, creating an arrangement, and then having musicians record that arrangement and have it sung. And that's what an artist or label gets to hear, right? So we did that. And uh, about a month later, my cell phone rings, and it's Tony Brown, who's a big-time producer, and he's calling me. And I have no idea how he got my phone number. But he's calling me, and he said, hey, man, we're in the studio right now. We're getting ready to record your song. Don't you think this song would be called Clear Blue Sky, not Blue Clear Sky? (laughs) I didn't know what to tell him, so I told him the truth. I told him about going to see Forrest Gump. (laughs) I was like a box of chocolates and the fact that Forrest Gump said Blue Clear Sky. (laughs) He goes, all right, hold on. And I hear him pass the phone. And at the time, we knew that Tony Brown was recording George Strait, mm-hmm. the one, the only, except no substitute, Frank Sinatra of country. <laughs> so this voice comes on the phone, and this voice does not say, hello, Bob, this is George Strait. Or, hey, man, it's George. Or, hey, Bob, George Strait. This is what he said. He said, hey, where are you from? And I said, what? He goes, where are you from? I go, where am I from? Well, I'm from Ohio. He goes, look, I'm from Texas. This is 100% true. I'm from Texas. Texas, we do not say blue, clear sky. We say clear blue sky. Don't you think this song would be called clear blue sky? I, this is George straight on the phone. I, so I told him when I told Tony that I went to see Forrest Gump. Life is <laughs> like a box of chocolates. The fact that Forrest Gump said blue, clear sky, and I thought it was cool. And he goes, all right, okay. There's a little silence. And I said, so what, what do you think you'll do, George? He goes, well, let me ask you a question. And I'm going, oh, my God, what's he going to ask me? He goes, do you think there's many gumpsters out there? And oh. I said, what? Gumpsters? You think there's many gumpsters out there? And I just said, yeah, yeah, man. The place was packed with people getting gumpsterized. And getting when I gumps- left. There was a line down the block of people coming in to get gumpsterized. I think there's a ton of them. He goes, all right. <laughs> I go, so what do you think you'll do, George? He goes, well, I guess we'll be gumpsters then, Eddie. <laughs> he hung the phone up, and he recorded Blue Clear Sky, and Blue Clear Sky became a four-week number one record. Wow. And then he named his album Blue Clear Sky, and the Blue Clear Sky album became the CMA Album of the Year. So I say, a lot of gumpsters. Don't change your mind if you believe in something. The lesser Bob was going, I don't care if you call it grilled cheese, <laughs> just record the song for God's sakes. I want a George Strait cut, but I really believed what I was telling. Yeah. Us. And then the postscript to that story is I ran into George about a year later. I hadn't talked to him since that time. He was coming out of a studio. I was going into a studio and he said, I got to tell you, I tried to sing it clear blue sky out of the clear blue sky but he said it just didn't have that that thing and i said oh yeah i know what you mean george i didn't know but i'm glad he tried it and he stuck with blue clear sky oh that's good so that's all it's that's the songwriting business in a nutshell and it could have gone the other way just as easily he could have said i don't get it i don't like it what i love out of that is that an artist who's as big as George Strait listened to a songwriter because really he didn't write it. You and a few others did. And honoring what the songwriter had 
I think is really important as an artist. When I record music that I haven't written, I want to honor the songwriter. I want them to be proud of the product that I put out. Yes. And I think not honoring the songwriter is just doing this whole music city a disservice. It's trusting that those writers have given you the best they had to offer on that day. Yeah. And I've had artists that have changed a line or a lyric here and there. And if I don't feel it's better, I will... I'll say, no, nah, maybe you just shouldn't record it. But if it's better, I'll say, yeah, man. Hearing the blue clear sky story, whoa, said a lot about Bob, and here's why. The fact that George Strait can call you on the phone and kind of not be fully sold on the idea, f- and Bob stood his ground in the sense of, this is why, this is my feeling, I'm passionate about this, and I don't want to change it. When so many other writers, if they got a call from George Strait, or I guess in today's world, not and I'm not comparing artists by any means, but if we're talking about popularity in our current day and age, we're talking about like Luke Combs or Morgan Wallen, and they pick up the phone and they call you and they're like, oh, yeah, I would like to switch the words around in that title or this song. I mean, I feel like a lot of writers would just say, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> do what you want to do. And I love that Bob has this integrity to him and he loves what he does so much and he's so passionate about what he does and is very confident in his work that he just stood there in his truth and said, hey, this is it. This is the song and this is why. And it's because I watched Forrest Gump in the movie theaters and I just think that's great. What song was the one that changed your life the most? The first number one song I had was American Made that was recorded by the Oak Ridge Boys, which was 1983. I was in town for about five years. It followed a huge record that they had at the time called Elvira. Elvira. <laughs> so it was following up this huge song, and it became this huge number one record. And then about a year later, there was an ad agency in New York City, and one of the ad exec guys was on a flight to somewhere listening to music on his headphones, and American Made happened to come on. Mm. He happened to catch it, and he thought it would make a good commercial. Mm. So he contacted the Miller Brewing Company, and the Miller Brewing Company changed it to Miller's Made the American Way. Wow. And it ran as a commercial for three and a half, four years. And it was the first time that a song had been paid not as a work for hire, which means, all right, we're going to give you $100 for your song, but you're never going to make more than $100. And it can go anywhere from $100 to a million dollars. This was the first time that a song was paid per play. It was even on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. So was that the song that has brought you the most financial success? One of them. Yeah. There are other songs that surprisingly have made a great deal of money but that one really made money that i could have never foreseen sure because i was just some guy in nashville trying to matter songs have lives of their own i totally believe that this guy happened to be listening he probably never listened to country music but he heard that and mm-hmm. he got it that was my world changer and what was the story behind that song really just that i needed i didn't <laughs> have any money <laughs> yeah and Do you remember writing it that day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I remember writing that chorus. My baby's American-made, born and born in the USA. Sexy long hair, sexy long legs. My baby's American-made. I remember writing that just that chunk, mm-hmm. and I was writing with a songwriter at the time named Pat McManus, and I said, "I got this chorus. What do you think?" <laughs> he was going somewhere, and he decided to stick around, and so we we wrote verses for it. And the guy I was telling you about, Johnny McRae, early on in mm-hmm. this interview, my mentor, we played it for him. He goes, this is a hit course, but those verses are terrible, terrible. You need to rewrite those verses, which we did, which became the lyric to the song. Wow. And, and yeah, I remember that. To me, that was my ticket into the game. To me, it was like, okay, I think... I can do this. Mm -hmm. Maybe not to this level, but I think I can do this again. You built up your ability to believe in yourself. Sure. And so that was a big shot in the arm to my personal belief that, yeah, I can do this. Obviously, the majority of your songs are all by country artists. I'm really intrigued by the whole like Megan Trainer, Ariana Grande thing. Yeah, yeah. Explain how that even happened, because that's just so weird. I wrote Boys Like You with an artist at the time. His name's, he's still out there doing great things. His name is Fancy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Fancy, and I wrote it with Jason Gant, who's a writer who was writing for me at the time. And the three of us wrote that song. We demoed it. It obviously wasn't a country song. It has its elements. It has elements of the story, Boys Like You. And also, it was, at the time, it was very edgy because Fancy, as we know, is a gay artist. But at the time, people did not talk about the fact that there's an artist working in Nashville who just so happens to be gay. Mm -hmm. That was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? That guy's got three eyes or something. Now, it's a big plus. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you're gay. We hope you're gay. And we hope you're black. And we hope you're a woman. <laughs> All in one. But at the time, we wanted to write a great song and we did the best job we could. And so we recorded it. And somebody in the publishing companies, one of our publishing companies, played it for Megan Trainer's people. And Megan Trainer loved it. She loved it. She goes, I love this song. I'm mm-hmm. going to record it. And so we were just thrilled to pieces wow this is amazing this is a whole other part of the world that we don't get to play in that much and after she'd recorded it several weeks go by and then we get this call saying megan has decided to add ariana grande onto this even song. crazier and it's like what you can't make you just can't you can't dream that yeah yeah <laughs> but it just was this song had a life of its own and it just took upon its own life, and it reached more people than I could ever consider a song like that would reach, and still gets played now. Yeah. So it's just the life of a song. When you put a song out there, you just never know where it's going to end up. Most of the times, it ends up nowhere. Yeah. That's just the name of the game, but something like that happens, and you're just, wow, I guess I'll keep writing. (laughs) (laughs) Because it all starts with a song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woods.
If you enjoyed this podcast, you can stay updated with all things What's Mine is Yours by visiting WMIYpodcast.com or following me on socials at Tiffany Woys and the podcast at WMIYpodcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We really appreciate it. Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woys in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woys and The Ed Hill. Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. You can check out my music on all streaming services and a special playlist we've created for each episode with songs written by each guest only on Spotify. Thanks for listening to What's Mine is Yours.